The Swiss Family Robinson, Chapter 57 Embarkation for and Arrival at The Island and Return to Tent House My story, she began, will not be long. I might take it in two words. You have lost me and you have found me. I have every reason to thank heaven for a circumstance which has proved to me how dear I am to you and has given me the happiness of gaining a friend and two dear daughters. Can one complain of an event which has produced such consequences even though it was attended with some balance? But I ought to do the savages justice. This balance was as gentle as it could be. I need only tell you, Paraberry was there to convince you I was well treated, and it was solely the sorrow of being parted from you that affected my health. I shall be well now, and as soon as Jack can walk, I shall be ready to embark for our happy island. I will now tell you how I was brought away. When you and our three sons left to make the tour of the island, I was very comfortable. You had told me you might return late, or probably not till next day, and when the evening passed away without seeing you, I was not uneasy. Francis was always with me. We went together to water the garden and rested in the grotto Ernestine. Then I returned to the house, took my wheel, and placed myself in my favorite colonnade, where I should be the first to see you return. Francis, seeing me at work, asked if he might go as far as the bridge to meet you, to which, to which I readily consented. He set out, and I was sitting, thinking of the pleasure I should have in seeing you again and hearing you relate your voyage, when I saw Francis running, crying out, Mother, mother, there is a canoe on the sea. I know it is ours. It is full of men, perhaps savages. Silly little fellow, said I. It is your father and brothers. If they are in the canoe, there can be no doubt of it. Your father told me he would bring it, and that they would return by water. I had forgotten this when I let you go. Now you can go and meet them on the shore. Give me your arm, and I will go too. And we set off very joyfully to meet our captors. I soon, alas, saw my error. It was indeed our canoe, but instead of my dear ones, there were in it six half-naked savages with terrible countenances who landed and surrounded us. My blood froze with fright, and if I had wished to flee, I was unable. I fell on the shore nearly insensible. Still I heard the cries of my dear Francis, who clung to me and held me with all his strength. At last my senses quite failed me, and I only recovered to find myself lying at the bottom of the canoe. My son, weeping over me, was trying to recover me, assisted by one of the savages, of less repulsive appearance than his companions, and who seemed the chief. This was Paraberry. He made me swallow a few drops of detestable fermented li liquor, which, however, restored me. I felt as I reconveyed the extent of my disaster and your grief, my dears, when you should find me missing. I should have been wholly disconsolate, but that Francis was left to me, and he was continually praying me to live for his sake. I received some comfort from a vague notion that as this was our canoe, the savages had already carried you off and were taking us to you. I was confirmed in this hope when I saw that the savages, instead of making to sea, continued co to coast the island till they came to the Great Bay. I had then no doubt but that we should meet with you, but this hope was soon destroyed. 
Two or three more of the savages were waiting there on the shore. They spoke to their friends in the canoe, and I understood from their gestures that they were saying they could not find anybody there. I have since learned from Kanda that part of them landed at the Great Bay with instructions to search that side of the island for inhabitants, while the rest proceeded with the canoe to examine the other side and had succeeded but too well. The night came on, and they were anxious to return, which doubtless prevented them from pillaging our house. I believe, moreover, that none of them could have reached Tent House, defended by our strong palisade and hidden by the rocks amidst which it is built, and the other party, finding us on the shore, would not penetrate further. When all had entered the canoe, they pushed off by the light of the stars into the open sea. I think I must have sunk under my sorrow, but for Francis, and I must confess it, my dear dog Flora, who had never left me, Francis told me that she had tried to de to defend me and flew at the savages, but one of them took my apron, tore it, and tied it over her mouth like a muzzle, bound her legs, and threw her into the canoe where the poor creature lay at my feet, moaning piteously. She arrived with us in this island, but I have not seen her since. I have often inquired of Paraberry, but he could not tell me what had become of her. But I know, said Fritz, and I and have seen her. We brought Turk with us, and the savages had, had carried Flora to that desert part of the island, from whence Jack was carried off, so the two dogs met. When I had the misfortune to wound Jack, I quite forgot them. They were rambling off in chase of kangaroos. We left them, and no doubt they are there still, but we must not abandon the poor beasts. If my father will, will seek them in Paraberry's canoes, as we were obliged to wait a few days for Jack's recovery, I consented on condition that Paraberry accompanied them, and the next day was fixed for the expedition. Ernest begged to be of the party that he might see the beautiful trees and flowers which they had described. I then requested the narration might be continued, which had been interrupted by this episode of the two dogs. Francis resumed where his mother had left off. We had a favorable passage, the sea was so calm, and the boat went so smoothly that both mother and I went to sleep. You must have come a much longer around than necessary, father, as your voyage lasted three days and we arrived here the day after our departure. Mother was then awake and wept incessantly, believing she would never more see you nor my brothers. Paraberry seemed very sorry for her and tried to console her. Last he addressed to her two or three words of German, pointing to heaven. His words were very plain. Almighty God, good, and then black friend and white lady, adding the words Kanda bear and Manua Manua. We did not understand what he meant, but he seemed so pleased in speaking these words that we could not but be pleased too, and to hear him named God in German gave us confidence, though we could not comprehend where or how he had learnt the words. Perhaps, said Mother, he has seen your father and brothers. I thought so too. Still, it appeared strange that in so short a time he could acquire and remember these words. However it might be, Mother was delighted to have him near her, and taught him to pronounce the words. Mother and son, which did not seem strange to him, and he soon knew them. She pointed to me, and to herself, as she pronounced the words, and he readily comprehended them, and said to us, with bursts of laughter, showing his large ivory teeth, Kanda, and another Manua, Manua's son, Paraberry father, white lady, another mother, thought he referred to her, but his was to Madame Emily. 
He tried to pronounce this name to others, but could not succeed. At last he said, Girls, girls, and almost convinced us he must know some Europeans, which was a great comfort to us. When I saw Mother more composed, I took out my flagellet to amuse her. Flagellet to amuse her and played the air to Ernest's verses. This made her weep again very much, and she begged me to to assist the savages, however, wished me to continue, and I did not know whom to obey. I changed there, playing the merriest I knew. They were in ecstasies. They took me in their arms, one after the other, saying, Bear-a-a-a-a-a-a. Bear-a-a-a-a-a. I repeated the word after them, and they were still more delighted. But Mother was so uneasy to see me in their arms that I broke from them and returned to her. At last we landed. They carried Mother, who was too weak to walk, about a hundred yards from the shore. We saw a large building of woods and reeds, before which there was a crowd of savages. One who was very tall came to receive us. He was dressed in a short tunic, much ornamented, and wore a necklace of pierced shells. He was a little disfigured by a white bone passed through his nostrils, but you saw him, father, when he wanted to dot me. It was Bear Uwa, the king of the island. I was presented to him, and he was pleased with me, touched the end of my nose with his, and admired my hair very much. My conductors ordered me to play on the flagellette. I played some lively German airs, which made them dance and leap till the king fell down with the fatigue and made a sign for me to de- desist. He then spoke for some time to the savages who stood in a circle around him. He looked at my mother, who was seated in a corner near her protector, Paraberry. He called the latter, who obliged mother to rise and presented her to the king. Barua looked only at the red and yellow India handkerchief which she wore on her head. He took it off very unceremoniously and put it on his own head, saying, This, which means tonight, which means beautiful. He then made us re-embark with him, amusing himself with me and my flagellet, which he attempted to play on by blowing through his nose, but did not succeed. After turning round a point which seemed to divide the island into two, we landed on a sandy beach. Paraberry and another savage proceeded to the interior, carrying my mother, and we followed. We arrived at a hut similar to the king's, but not so large. There we were received by Mr. Willis, and from that time we had no more fears. He took us under his protection, first speaking to the king and Paraberry in their own language. He then addressed mother in German, mixed with a few English words, which we understood very well. He knew nothing of you and my brothers, but from what mother told him, he promised to have you sought for and brought as soon as possible to the island. In the meantime, he offered to lead us to a friend who would take care of us and nurse my poor mother, who looked very ill. She was obliged to be carried to the other hut. After that, our cares were over, and her pleasures without alloy, for the black friend had promised to seek you. The white lady received us like old friends, and Sophia and Matilda took me at first for their own brother, and still loved me as if I were so. We only wished for you all to be here. Madame Mimi made mother lie down on the bearskin and prepared a pleasant beverage from the milk of the coconut. Sophia and Matilda told me to gather strawberries and figs and beautiful flowers, and we caught fish in the brook between two 
osier hurdles. We amused ourselves very well with Manua Manua, while Kanda and Madame Emily amused Mother. The king came the next day to see his little favorite. He wished me to go with him to another part of the island where he often went to hunt, but I would not leave Mother and my new friends. I was wrong, Father, for you were there, and my brothers. It was there Jack was wounded and brought away. I might have prevented all that, and you would then have returned to us. How sorry I have been for my obstinacy. It was I, more than Fritz, who was the cause of his wound, Baru returned in the evening to the grotto. And think, father, of our surprise, our delight, and our distress, when he brought us poor Jack, wounded and in great pain, but still all joy at finding us again. The king told Mr. Willis he was sure Jack was my brother, and he made us a present of him, adding that he gave him in exchange for mother's handkerchief. Mother thanked him earnestly and placed Jack beside her. From him she learned all you had done to discover us. He informed Mr. Willis where he had left you, and he promised to seek and bring you to us. He then examined the wound, which Jack wished him to think he had himself caused with Fritz's gun, but this was not probable, as the ball had entered behind and lodged in the shoulder. Mr. Willis distracted it with some difficulty, and poor Jack suffered a good deal, but all is now going on well. What a large party we shall be, father, when we all are all settled in our island. Sophia, Matilda, Manua, Manua, Kanda, Paraberry, you, father, and two mothers, and Mr. Willis. My wife smiled as the little orator concluded. Mr. Willis then dressed Jack's wound and thought he might be removed in five or six days. Now, my dear t Jack, said I, it is your turn to relate your history. Your brother left off where you were entertaining the savages with your buffoneries, and certainly they were never better introduced. But how did they suddenly think of carrying you away? Paraberry told me, said Jack, that they were struck with my resemblance to Francis as soon as I took my flagellette. After I had played a minute or two, the savages who wore mother's handkerchief, whom I now know to be the king, interrupted me by crying out and clapping his hands. He spoke earnestly to the others, pointing to my face and to my flageolet, which he had taken. He looked also at my jacket of blue cotton, which one of them had tied round his shoulders like a mantle, and doubtless he then gave orders for me to be seized and carried to the canoe. They seized upon me. I screamed like a madman, kicked them and scratched them, but what could I do against seven or eight great savages? They tied my legs together and my hands behind me and carried me like a parcel. I could then do nothing but cry out for Fritz, and the night of the gun came rather too soon. In attempting to defend me, some way or other, off went his gun, and the ball took up it, it abode in my shoulder. I can assure you an unpleasant visitor is that same ball, but here he is, the scoundrel. Father Will Mr. Willis pulled him out of the same door as that by which he went in, and since his departure all goes on well. Now for my story, when poor Fritz saw that I was wounded, he fell down as if he had been shot at the same time. The savages, thinking he was dead, took away his gun and carried me into the canoe. I was in despair more for the death of my brother than from my wound, which I almost forgot and was wishing they would throw me into the sea when I saw Fritz running at full speed towards the shore, but we pushed off, and I could only call out some words of consolation. They were very kind to me, and one of them held me up on the outrigger. They washed my wound with seawater, sucked it 
tore my pocket handkerchief to make a bandage, and as soon as we landed, squeezed the juice of some herb into it. We sailed very quickly and passed the place where we had landed in the morning. I knew it again and could see Ernest standing on a sandbank. Bank. He was watching us, and I held out my arms to him. I thought I was. I also saw you, father, and heard you call. But the savages yelled, and though I cried with all my strength, it was in vain. Uh, I little thought they were taking me to mother. As soon as we had disembarked, they brought me to this grotto, and I thought I must have died of surprise and joy when I was met by my by mother and Francis, and then by Sophia, Matilda, Madame em- Emily, and Mister Willis, who is a second father to me. This is the end of my story, and a very pretty end it is. That brings us all together. What matters it to have a little vexation for all of this pleasure? I owe it all to you, Fritz. If you had let me sink to the bottom of the sea instead of dragging me out by the hair, I should not have been here so happy as I am. I am obliged to the gun, too. Thanks to it, I was the first to reach Mother and see our new friends. The next day, Fritz and Ernest set out on their expedition with Paraberry in his canoe to seek our two valued dogs. The good Allender carried his canoe on his back to the shore. I saw them set off, but not without some dread, in such a frail bark into which the water leaked through every seam. But my boys could swim well that the kind, skillful, and bold Paraberry undertook to answer for their safety. I therefore recommended them to God and returned to the grotto to tranquilize my wife's fears. Jack was inconsolable that he could not form one of the party, but Sophia scolded him for wishing to leave them to go upon the sea which has swallowed up poor Alfred. In the evening we had the pleasure of seeing our brave dogs enter the grotto. They leaped on us in a way that terrified our poor little girls at first who took them for bears, but they were soon reconciled to them. When they saw them fawn round us, lick our hands, and pass from one to the other to be caressed, my sons had had no difficulty in finding them. They had run to them at the first call and seemed delighted to see their masters again. The poor animals had subsisted on the remains of the kangaroos, but apparently had met with no fresh water, for they seemed dying with thirst and rushed to the brook as soon as they discovered it and returned again and again. Then they followed us to the hut of the good missionary, who had been engaged all day in visiting the dwellings of the natives and teaching them the truths of religion. I had accompanied him, but for ignorance of the language could not aid him. I was, however, delighted with the simple and earnest manner in which he spoke, and the eagerness with which they heard him. He finished by prayer, kneeling, and they all imitated him. Lifting up their hands and eyes to heaven, he assembled them in his tent, which he wished to make a place for worship of the true God. He intended to consecrate it for this purpose and to live in the grotto after our departure. The day arrived at last. Jack's shoulder was nearly healed, and my wife, along with her happiness, recovered her strength. The Panas had been so well guarded by Paraberry and his friends that it had suffered no injury. I distributed among the islanders everything I had that could please them, and made Paraberry invite them to come and see us in our island, requesting we might live on friendly terms. Mr. Willis wished much to see it, and to complete our happiness, he promised to accompany and spend some days with us, and Paraberry said he would take him back when he wished it. We embarked then, after taking leave of Bararua, who was very liberal in his presence, giving us, besides fruits of every kind, a whole hog roasted, which was excellent. We were fourteen in number, sixteen reckoning the two dogs. The missionary accompanied us, and a young islander whom Paraberry had procured to be his servant, as he was too old and too much occupied with his mission to attend to his own wants. This youth was of good disposition and much attached to him. 
Parabari took him to assist in rowing when he returned. Emily cannot but re feel rather affected at leaving the grotto, where she had passed four tranquil, if not happy, years, fulfilling the duties of a mother. Neither could she avoid a painful sensation when she once more saw the sea that had been so fatal to her husband and son. She could scarcely subdue the fear she had of trusting all she had left to that treacherous element. She held her daughters in her arms and prayed for the protection of heaven. Mr. Willis and I spoke to her of the goodness of God and pointed out to her the calmness of the water, the security of the panas, and the favorable state of the wind. My wife described to her our establishment and promised her a far more beautiful grotto than the one she had left, and at last she became more reconciled. After seven or eight hours' voyage, we arrived at Cape Disappointment, and we agreed the bay should henceforth be called the Bay of the Happy Return. The distance to the tent house from hence was much too great for the ladies and children to go on foot. My intention was to take them by water to the other end of the island, near our house. But my elder sons had begged to be landed at the bay to seek their livestock and to and take them home. I left them there with Paraberry. Jack recommended his buffalo to them and Francis's bull, and all were found. We coasted the island, arrived at Safety Bay, and were soon at Tent House, where we had found all as we had left it in good condition. Notwithstanding the description my wife had given them, our new guests found our establishment far beyond their expectations. With what delight Jack and Francis ran up and down the colonnade with their young friends. What stories they had to tell of all the surprises they had prepared for their mother. They showed them Fritzia, Jackia, and Franciade, and gave their friends water from their beautiful fountain. Absence seemed to have improved everything, and I confess I had some difficulty to refrain from demonstrating my joy as well as my children. Manua, Manua, Paraberry, and Kenda were lost in admiration, calling our continually Tiniti beautiful. My wife was busied in arranging a temporary lodging for our guests. The workroom was given up to Mr. Willis. My wife and Madame Emily had our apartment, the two little girls being with them, to whom the hammocks of the elder boys were appropriated. Kanda, who knew nothing about beds, was wonderfully comfortable on the carpet. Fritz, Ernest, and the two natives stowed themselves wherever they wished, in the colonnade or in the kitchen. All was alike to them. I slept on moss and cotton in Mr. Willis's room with my two younger sons. Everyone was content, waiting till our ulterior arrangements were completed. Conclusion I must conclude my journal here. We can scarcely be more happy than we are, and I feel no cares about my children. Fritz is so fond of the chase and of mechanics and earnest of study that they will not wish to marry, but I please myself by hoping at some time to see my dear Jack and Francis happily united to Sophia and Matilda. What remains for me to tell? The details of happiness, however sweet in enjoyment, are often tedious in recital. I will only add that after passing a few days with us, Mr. Willis returned to his charge, promising to visit us and eventually to join us. The Grotto Ernestine, fitted up by Fritz and Paraberry, made a pretty abode for Madame Hertel and her daughters and the two Allenders, Manua Manua did not leave his young mamas and was very useful to them. I must state also that my son Ernest, without abandoning the study of natural history, applied himself to astronomy and mounted the large telescope belonging to the ship. He acquired considerable knowledge of this sublime science, which his mother, however, considered somewhat useless. 
The course of the other planets did not interest her so long as all went well in the in that which she inhabited, and nothing now was wanting to her happiness, surrounded as she was by friends. The following year we had a visit from a Russian vessel, the Neva, commanded by Captain Kruenstern, a countryman and distant relation of mine. The celebrated Horner of Zurich accompanied him as astronomer. Having read the first part of our journal sent into Europe by Captain Johnson, he had come purposely to see us. Delighted with our establishment, he did not advise us to quit it. Captain Crunston Stern invited us to take a passage in his vessel. We declined his offer, but my wife, though she renounced her country forever, was glad of the opportunity of making inquiries about her relations and friends. As she had concluded, her good mother had died some years before, blessing her absent children. My wife shed some tears, but was consoled by the certainty of her mother's eternal felicity and the hope of their meeting in futurity. One of her brothers was also dead. He had left a daughter, to whom my wife had always been attached, though she was very young when we left. Henrietta Bodmer was now sixteen, and Mr. Horner assured us a most amiable girl. My wife wished much to have her with us. Ernest would not leave Mr. Horner a moment. He was so delighted to meet with one so eminent eminently skillful in his favorite science. Astronomy made them such friends that Mr. Horner petitioned me to allow him to take my son to Europe, promising to bring him back himself in a few years. This was a great trial to us, but I felt that his taste for science required a larger field than our island. His mother was reluctant to part with him, but consoled herself with a notion that he might bring his cousin Henrietta back with him. Many tears were shed at our parting. Indeed, the grief of his mother was so intense that my son seemed almost inclined to give up his inclination. But Mr. Horner made some observations about the transit of Venus so interesting that Ernest could not resist. He left us, promising to bring us back everything for which we wished. In the meantime, Ca Captain Crewston Stern left us a good supply of powder, provisions, seeds, and some capital tools, to the great delight of Fritz and Jack. They regretted their brother greatly, but diverted their minds from sorrow by application to mechanics, assisted by the intelligent Paraberry. They have already succeeded in constructing a sawmill, and have built a very good oven. We miss Ernest very much, though his taste for study withdrew him a good deal from us, and he was not so useful as his brothers. We found his calm and considerate advice often of value, and his mildness always spread a charm over our circle in joy or in trouble. Except this little affliction, we are very happy. Our labors are divided regularly. Fritz and Jack manage the board of works. They have opened a passage through the rock which divided us from the other side of the island, thus doubling our domain, domain and our riches. At the same time, they formed a dwelling for Madame Hertel near our own, from the same excavation in the rock. Fritz took great pains with it. The windows are made of oil paper instead of glass, but we usually assemble in our large room, which is well lighted. Francis has the charge of our flocks and of the poultry, all greatly increased. For me, I preside over the grand work of agriculture. The two mothers, their two daughters, and Kanda manage the garden, spin, weave, take care of our clothes and attend to household matters. Thus we all work and everything prospers. Several families of the natives 
pupils of Mr. Willis have obtained leave through him to join us and are settled at Falcon's Nest and at the farm. These people assist us in the cultivation of our ground and our dear missionary in the cultivation of our souls. Nothing is wanting 